Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... People would come in, look around, take out their cameras and do social media. You can't believe this story. It was a positive thing. I mean, people didn't have a negative connotation that it was too cheap, but it was all positive. One of our listeners' favourite interviews from 2023 was with Chemist Warehouse co-founder and chair, Jack Gantz. Jack normally runs very much under the radar, but he spoke to us on Build It, They'll Come, revealing after 51 years in retailing, the past 24 of them building up Chemist Warehouse from scratch, how he disrupted the entire pharmacy retailing sector. Now, at the time of our interview, Jack, his brother Sam, co-founder Mario Verrocchi and other key shareholders were exploring strategies to expand Chemist Warehouse, such as going public on the Australian Securities Exchange. Then in December 2023, Jack and co made a bombshell announcement. Chemist Warehouse and Sigma Healthcare agreed to list on the ASX via a reverse listing through Sigma, which owns Amcal Chemists and a successful medicine distribution business. Now, if the deal is approved by the ACCC and others, Chemist Warehouse shareholders will own almost 86% of the newly merged entity and the founders' families will hold 49%, making them billionaires Again. Oh, plus there's a $700 million cash payment to the families as part of the deal. So if it is approved, Jack Gantz will pull off one of the best, most audacious deals ever in Australian retailing. So as we kick off our 2024 year, I reckon it's worth listening again to the gems and insights from Jack Gantz's journey as he built Chemist Warehouse from one small suburban shop into a retailing monolith with 500 stores. Here's Jack Gantz. Jack Gantz, thank you so much for joining me on Build It, They'll Come. It's just great to have you on. My pleasure. Well, now everyone, I would suggest, in Australia, no doubt knows the brand name of Chemist Warehouse and possibly most of those people shop with you or have shopped with you at one time or another. Let's sort of start now. Do you ever reflect on that and what you've actually built and created, a genuine, homegrown, very much trusted brand, the number one pharmacy brand in Australia, as I understand it, you've created a shopping experience and a retail empire. Do you reflect on that and how does that make you feel? Well, now that you talk about it, I think, you know, I I guess the reality is that I have never reflected upon our success. I've always sort of said, what can we do next? What's the next thing? Really? Yeah, really. I mean, like, you know, we have a, we had a, 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 um, a ribbon cutting ceremony when we did the 500th store uh, a few months ago. And I guess that was one of the few times we actually sort of stopped and, and, uh, recognized where we, where we are. Yeah. We, we're constantly trying to improve and uh, do things better. So, you know, it's, um, it's a good thing to, to, to reflect. And I think we should, but in fact, 
We don't. Yeah, well, I guess part of that may be because you've still got a lot of things that you want to achieve. You've still got more ambitions for it. But, you know, after 50 years, 51 years, I think, or something like that in business, you should reflect. Yeah, I should. You should. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, once we achieve it, once we achieve something we, we try to achieve, we've always got our eye on the next thing. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, do we stop and, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. We should. And i got to thank all the consumers, all the public for, for their support because I think without them, I guess the reason why we are successful is because we do focus upon what they want. We provide them with what they want and, and try to, you know, um, surprise them, you know, delight them with, uh, with what we can do with pricing and products. Mm, but it is interesting in the beginning, and we'll go back to the beginning soon, not just yet, but in the beginning, you didn't just give them what they want because they didn't know they wanted that. You know, we were all used to shopping in pharmacies in a very different way in the, you know, um, well, through the 70s, I guess. Um, and then you kind of re completely revolutionised it. But I don't want to get to that just yet. You have obviously been involved in a number of startups and creating and building new businesses and startups. You successfully have disrupted a number of industries, I mean, retailing and pharmaceuticals as well, I would suggest. So did you say you opened your 500th shop just a few months ago? Yes, um, our 500th chemist warehouse. We've got about 570 pharmacies altogether. Um, With the, the Mark Chemist Brand. The Microsoft brand and some unbranded ones, which are waiting in the in the waiting in the background to be rebranded. Ah, okay. So that's still to come, and a turnover of some billions. Eight billion. Eight billion turnover a year. Correct. Well, that's just an extraordinary achievement, Jack. I mean, it is an incredible empire that you've built over 50 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I remember that when we um, we hired a general manager and he said, uh, my task is to get you to $1 billion. And I said, oh, that's not possible. We'll never get to a $1 billion. Really? When we got to the, got to the billion dollar mark, um, instead of celebrating, which we should have done, uh, as you as you've said, um, we we sort of said, let's get half. How will it take us to get to two billion and then three billion? Mm. And um, so, where did, yeah. just just I'm going to sort of step sideways. Where does that kind of relentless drive come from? I'm not really sure. Mm. Uh, uh, I, I'm uh, my parents were uh, immigrants uh, after the war. My I was born in Russia. My parents were Polish Jews, and they uh, moved to Russia to escape the Germans. I was mm. born 1948, sorry, 1946, um, and uh, wow. was two years old when we came to Australia. And I guess it was the fact that my parents really saw that um, you've got to be looking for mm. uh, survival, and for, for them, and I guess instilled in me was the fact that, uh, you know, you just got to work hard, education and hard work were the only two things that they really, um, they really gave me. Yeah. And that's an in really interesting. And it, 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 that certainly that emphasis on education and hard work is very much part of the immigrant story in Australia, isn't it? But it certainly is. can we go back to the beginning of that entrepreneurial story? 
story. You started out in business in a very small, humble way, as I understand it, with what, one pharmacy in the early 70s, which you went yes. into with your brother. Is that right? And and That's after right. you had trained as a pharmacist at university? That's right, yeah. Um, I qualified as a pharmacist in 1966 and then 1972, uh, my brother qualified as well and together we bought our first store in Reservoir. And it was soon after uh, we we opened. This, soon after we we, we uh, started in the store, the uh, uh, competitor across the railway line died, um, and we bought his business. So we had two stores. Oh right, uh, okay. So you expanded very quickly, really. It was about six months. Uh, you know, we um, we were offered the store, and we said, oh, you know. Um, we weren't sure that we wanted to uh, expand beyond that, but we did. Yeah, you know, we, we we bought the store, um, and um, then I started to think that I wanted to do something a bit, a bit more entrepreneurial, and uh, I wanted an opportunity to go overseas uh, on a business trip. So I looked around and saw what we sold. We sold a lot of sunglasses, and I thought, well, you know, this could be a good opportunity to import sunglasses. We sold a lot of sunglasses. Okay, so, so already you were selling sunglasses, even in sorry? this. Uh, already in this first and second store, you were selling sunglasses. Well, well pharmacy, pharmacies traditionally sold sunglasses. Right. One, of the, one of the things that, and they still do. Yeah, so we, we sold a fair few sunglasses. So I went to the Taiwanese consulate in Melbourne, and uh, this is 1973, I think. Remember, there was no, there was no, uh, no mobile phones. There was no cameras. Um, so. We went there and we looked through the um, through the different uh, catalogs there, and we looked at uh, sunglass manufacturers. We wrote down the name of all the manufacturers, and then I went back to the pharmacy with two fingers, typed a letter. Remember, there was no emails. There no, was no, of course not. No it was all snail mail. Yeah, it was all snail mail. So I typed a letter. Dear sir, your name you've been recommended by the Taiwanese consulate. We are, we are the largest sunglass importer in Australia. Now, was that a Helen, Helen, it wasn't a lie, it was a timing difference. I see. We were soon to become the largest sunglass. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. We, so they they flooded this with samples, and uh, we we were able to establish which of the suppliers were, were the best, and um, then uh, I had a I had a strategy which was to sell to our fellow pharmacists. How did you? Gonna, sorry, Jack. How did you come up with that strategy? Because that's. Uh, I mean, I don't wish to put pharmacists down, but that's not necessarily uh, the entrepreneurial way that a pharmacist, uh, a no, trained no. professional, might think. No, I know, I know. And, and, well, I didn't know what I didn't know what entrepreneurship was until I um, sold the business and did an MBA and I did a semester at it with a subject entrepreneurship and I realized what entrepreneurship is I guess it's probably just the you know the the the, the desire to survive and mm. to you know and, and to work hard and and to think of things outside the box so there's about a hundred people selling sunglasses to pharmacy there's plenty of people selling sunglasses to right. pharmacy but the difference was and I was a pharmacist I was a fellow pharmacist so I was going to I was going to do it by mail order where I was going to send a letter to every pharmacy and say hey don't buy from these multinationals buy from you know, who rip you off buy from buy from me a fellow pharmacist right my sister who was a teacher decided that she wanted to do something entrepreneurial so I said why don't you come and work with me and um, sell sunglasses to pharmacies 
So we made a uh, display of sunglasses, which was a piece of pegboard with some hat elastics through it, and the glasses were um, strung through the hat elastic and with a a rope handle, and she went door-to-door to to pharmacy. Well, she had like 95% success rate. Okay, sorry, can I just stop you there? So these were the sunglasses that you were importing, but clearly you said a lot of chemists were selling sunglasses then. So you decided that they, even though these chemists were, other chemists were already buying sunglasses from big companies, that you could sell it to them and make yourself some money. Well, I sold it to them on the basis that they were buying it much cheaper than they were for the multinationals, right. and I was making a reasonably reasonably good margin. So it was a win-win for both of us. And the products were um, – the styling was was pretty good because we understood retail. I mean, you know, I, I served in the shop and we had retail sales numbers and we were able to – to design our own products in Australia for the Australian market. And so, the, so you know, the, we had called it Prestige Sunglasses um, and we, um, we, we started uh, with, with my sister and then we got agents who sold it on a um, commission basis. Right. And by, 19, by 1975, 76, um, we had um, a good distribution throughout, throughout Australia. And then in 1979, we're at a trade show. My wife Evelyn, at the back of a stand, saw a pair of sunglasses with a with a, a tag that had a had a feather hanging off it, and she said, "What's that?" And the guy said, "Well, look, this is something new we've developed. Not sure what to do with it. It's unbreakable. It's you know lightweight, flexible, unbreakable. Um, it's taken us five years to develop. We're not sure what to do with it." And so. I said, give me a sample and I'll take it back. Now, I'd read a book by John Singleton on contra advertising, on advertising, and there was a, there was a paragraph, there was a chapter in there on contra advertising. And we had no money. I mean, you know, we were growing the business, but mm. we had no money. And so I you was didn't want to pay for advertising or preferably not. Well, we were happy to pay on a contra basis, which is what the contra advertising was about. So we went to Spasm's agency yeah. in Melbourne. And uh, Mike Strauss uh, welcomed me, and I threw the glasses on the floor, jumped on them, and he said, "This is fantastic. We want to do it on a contra basis." He said, "I will, I will develop a brand name for you. I'll develop a, a, um, a point of sale, um, and we'll do it on a contra basis." He went to Channel Seven, and they produced a commercial for seven thousand dollars. Oh Can you gosh. Anyway, so when I went back for the second meeting, he said, okay, we've thought of a name. It's going to be called The Specs. Oh, wow. So the agency came up with that name. The agency came up with the name. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's three things that this product does. One, it's lightweight. Two, it's unbreakable. And three, it's French. You've only picked one, one of the three elements. And he said to me, Jack, look, if this advertising campaign doesn't make them you know, memorable and doesn't sell product, then we've, we've failed. Trust us, we'll make it work. So I said, okay, I'll trust you. And um, it was fantastic. So we created the commercial. They produced a commercial on the, you know, based on the 1912 overture. Dum, 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 dum. And they had people sitting on the glasses and riding bikes over it and jumping on them. It was such a sensational commercial. <coughs> and... We'd already sold the products in. We already sold sunglasses into the into pharmacies already. So when the product came in November and December of um, nineteen seventy nine, 
we had to uh, go and, and and try to sell it into pharmacy again. So we decided to do it on consignment. So we took um, we got got on the phone. We all got on the phone. And we rang up each every pharmacy in Victoria and offered them. Uh, 14 pairs of sunglasses on consignment, and we told them about the TV commercial. Meaning they only have to pay for it if they sell it, when they sell it. Yeah. Correct. And sorry, how did did the Contra deal work with the agency? We paid them $2.50 a pair, and then they they distributed that to the- Right. So again, you only paid them when you sold some sunglasses. That's right. The risk we had was we we, we imported hundreds of thousands of pairs of sunglasses, but then I thought, well, you know, it'll be a few years' supply. Yeah. if it doesn't work, but you know, like so in, in, those, in those days, in, in, in when the shipment came in late, I mean, everything oh. was really touch and go. The shipment came in late and actually arrived on Christmas Eve. We had the TV campaign uh, ready to go about the twenty seventh of December. Oh. The shipment came in, so I hired a I hired a truck. And at those days, we drove the truck. I drove the truck onto the tarmac of the airport. They loaded the, the, the sunglasses into the back of the truck, and I drove off after paying customs and delivered the glasses to women who put swing tags on, and then we collected those, and then we assorted them and delivered them to the to people's homes uh, So and delivered them to, to, to the pharmacies. To pharmacies, ready for the summer rush. And and that's what happened. And when 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 the when they hit the stores and the TV campaign started, people would walk to the front counter with a pair of sunglasses that they'd seen off the stand, and they would see the sunglasses on a little counter unit. They pick up the, the specs, put them on, and put the other ones back and buy the specs. It was just phenomenal. Amazing. So, Jack, really, is is it the case that in those days, so say the mid to late 70s, your idea wasn't really to revolutionise pharmacies per se. It was to sort of revolutionise what was sold in pharmacies and how you could develop, how you did develop this um, this really, this distribution arm for products. No, that's, no, that's not right because I never thought of it that way. I thought, what can I do to make money? What can I right. do that's, that's going to, that, that I can sell? I never sort of thought about, you know, the whole thing about revolutionising. Yeah. Right. All I thought was, how do I, how do I get a product into the pharmacy so that they make money and we make money and it's a win win for everybody? Yeah. And that so, you get people in. But the, but they, but then I then I thought about it. I thought we're not a sunglass company. We really are a distribution business. So let's look at the next product we can distribute. Yeah. So I wanted I wanted to look at a product that was off season from sunglasses, something which was winter. I couldn't think of anything. So we we settled on on sunscreen, the specs, the tan. And uh, the agency came up with a fantastic TV commercial. We started selling it in February uh, without a bottle being produced with a mock-up of, of a bottle. And because of the success of, of Le Specs, uh, the pharmacy said, okay, if, if Le Specs works, Latam will work. And, and we just got we, we, we just got acceptance on the back of, of the success we had. Wow. So did you make that here or did you import a brand no, no, from France no, called no, Latam? No, Latan was made in Australia. We had a professor of pharmacy in Queensland develop the uh, formulation, 
and uh, it was manufactured by a local uh, manufacturer. We had the bottle produced here, and uh, the whole thing was locally produced. Amazing! And then from the, and and then that sold to obviously to other pharmacies. From that, you also uh, what virtually created Australis and Colors of Australia, the cosmetics and fragrances brands. Yeah, well, that was interesting because we we said le specs, le tan, le parfum. But the trouble was Le Parfum was a brand that was already taken by someone else. Now, today, we probably go and buy the brand. We probably go and buy the the, the trademark. Yeah. Back, back then, I didn't want to spend any money. So we were offered a brand called Australis. Now, Australis was manufactured by or for a um, – for, for a Fijian uh, Indian family uh, that had duty-free stores and they thought they were going to develop a range of fragrances called Australis. I love the name, but the fragrance was no good and the packaging wasn't great. In order to be able to compete with the multinationals, you, you can't compete on an even scale. You can't compete toe-to-toe with them because they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars developing the uh, the packaging. Yeah. So we, we said, let's go completely different. So Ken Doan was on his way up. Uh, he was a uh, he, he was an exciting artist. We went to Ken Doan and we said, Ken, would you develop, design a fragrance brand uh, label for us? And so he developed these, he uh, developed the Australis label, which was naive art. And, um, and it was instantly successful because people, said, you know, it's not not a pretentious brand, it's mm. a lifestyle brand. Mm. And we, in fact, created that lifestyle fragrance brand, range uh, category that didn't exist before then. There was the, you know, there, there was the, all the all the upmarket ones and we developed the, the, the lifestyle ones that the Australian woman could, uh, could relate to. And, and, and was that, probably a cheaper price point. It was a, it was a less expensive yeah. price point, made, made in Australia. Made in Australia, the, the commercial was not pretentious. It was like girls running through the sand, through the yeah. surf, meat pies, um, <laughs> you know, dropping on the, you know, on, oh, on, on the shirt. Yeah, it was, it was something that people could relate to. Yeah, and yeah. We, when we went to. By then we were in Maya. We went to Maya and showed them. They just loved it. They said it was yeah fantastic. It was a breath of fresh air in the whole of the fragrance market. And were you still working with Spasm and the agency with this, or was it had you no. moved on and and Ken Doan helped you um, create that the packaging, but you created it yourself? Yeah, well, the brand. actually, interesting story because Spasm um, had Spasm. Advertising uh, agency, yeah. Advertising which, agency. They couldn't. They 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 ran the first campaign for us, but they said we can't have you as a client because they just take it on Gillette. Uh, and Gillette, Gillette had a had a sunglass brand, and they couldn't compete. Gillette let them run with this Lespec's campaign, uh, but then they had to give up. So we went to another agency. We went through about two or three different agencies. You know, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, but. Th- the Australis, I can't remember which agency it was, but but the Australis one was it was a different agency that's the created the specs and the one that created Latan. Yeah, just extraordinary. Do you think secretly you really always wanted to be a marketer, um, or was it just this? Oh, look, we can we can create these products and people are buying them and they want them. Well, I think it's because. I had a pretty good feeling. I think we've got a good feeling for mm. what it is the consumer wants. Um, I, I always say um, 
to to our buyers now that we, you know we've got a whole team of buyers. I say, if you tell me that you want to buy that because you like it, I'm going to fire you. I don't want to buy something. I don't want you to buy something that you like. I want you to buy something the customer likes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, you know, but so I mean, do you, you do need- market surveys? Do you do it sort of scientifically, or do you just watch the sales come in and then think, "Oh, they actually like that sort of perfume or sunglasses or painkiller, not well, that one." Well, today we have a lot of data. We yeah. have a very, very sophisticated data collection. But but the point is that um, gut feel, I think, is probably probably better than a lot of this. A uh, lo- lo- lot of the. Um, uh, research, um, like, like the focus groups, they did a focus group um, on sunglasses, and everyone bought their sunglasses, uh, Chanel sunglasses in France, in Paris. You know, everyone in the in the team, it was just was just was just rubbish. You know, like the the results were just crazy. Mm. Um, and I have very little faith in in those focus groups. I prefer to ask my own questions. I prefer to be close to the consumer and just watch international trends. Yeah. You learn you learn for, you know, as you go. Yeah. Jack, what did you do for funding in those very early days? Firstly, how did you buy the, the second guys, um, the, the neighbourhood chemist, and then how did you really develop? You said you didn't want to spend any money, but you still would have had to, you know, pay someone to make the product or pay the Lespecs people in France to bring it out to Australia. What was your funding? It's true. Well, we, our funding was by reinvesting everything. I mean, yeah. we took very out of the business. Um, but I mean, did you we, have to sort of borrow from friends and family and use all your savings? And probably didn't even have a credit card then, did you? Well, the we in nineteen in nineteen ninety one, um, we we got we approached by Graham Smorgan to buy the business. Just prior to him approaching us, uh, my brother and I had signed a bank guarantee that uh, I looked at it and I said, I, I, I couldn't believe the number of zeros in that bank guarantee. <laughs> the problem the problem with manufacturing, with distribution businesses, is that the more successful you are, the less money you have. Mm. And we were borrowing, we were borrowing big time and we had everything mortgaged. And then what happened was the French – Decided to do some atomic testing in the uh, in the Pacific. Yeah, and I was concerned that if there was a uh, anti-French um, sentiment, not that our products were necessarily French, that we would be yeah we would suffer. And you know, mm. I mean, in business, it's it's a fine line between between success and failure. The margin you work with overall, what you've got left, is pretty pretty slim. And you you need the volume, and you need to make sure that the margin's there. And if if, if the tide turns and sales drop, uh, uh, then you you can you can you can wipe out your your profit very very quickly. So I was really concerned about that, and the, and reluctantly we sold the company, we sold the Australis brand to uh, the, the business to Graham Smorgan. But then in pharmacy, in pharmacy, fortunately, retail businesses uh, are less. Um, cash constrained because you buy your stock, but then once you bought the stock, but then as soon as you start selling it, um, you get cash in. So you've got sixty days cash coming in before you have to pay for the, what you've just bought. Right. So you have trading terms. Yep. And so the bigger you get, the more cash flow you have. And uh, we had uh, strong support with Sigma, uh, who who we were with for a long, long time. Um, Sigma Pharmaceuticals, yeah. Sigma Pharmaceuticals. At that stage, in those days, 
the wholesalers used to guarantee the bank loans. So, you know, it was relatively easy to fund pharmacies. Yeah, right. It was but, the distribution business, yeah. which, was, which was the hard one to fund. So before you got big and successful, how did you fund that distribution business in the beginning? By borrowing. I yeah, mean, right. as okay. I said, we hopped yeah. everything. It was, it was, the pharmacies were okay because the, the, they were pretty well self-funded. You know, once you started, um, you got cash yeah. flowing pretty quickly, especially um, if you had a good business. Um, it was the distribution business, which was the killer. And we, we had, we had, very, very, very hefty bill, uh, very hefty loans with the banks, and that was one of the reasons, as I said, why we decided. You know, it, it's a good time to sell yeah. and, and, and and to be safe. When you sold those businesses, the the sort of pharmacy brand um, distribution business in 1991, did you make a lot of dough then? And was that then the um, foundation for your next move? We. We we well we we didn't make a lot of dough. It's all relative, but we but we did very well, and it meant we didn't have to borrow money again. And and, and in our pharmacies, we have zero borrowing. Really, we had zero borrowing in our pharmacies. We've got uh, we eight billion dollars turnover, and we've got uh, you know five hundred and sixty stores, um, and we own a number of the properties. But it's all funded from. Uh, from cash flow, largely because we don't take, you know, we don't take, we don't take much out. We we reinvest everything back into the business. You know, we, um, it, 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 all our money's invested back in the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're saying you didn't really set out to change pharmacy retailing, but you did, even just know, with those yeah. brands, didn't you? Well, we started off. Um, with two stores, and then we, when I sold Australis, Lespex Latan, yeah, we had thirty-five stores. Right. I, I, I decided to um, do an MBA, and I and I went and did a semester at NYU, came back, and then I said, Let, let's reinvigorate the pharmacies. With thirty-five stores, there was some Amcal, some Guardian, some Chemma, some Sol Pattinson. I said, look, you know. Oh, so we they weren't do- all under the same brand name. They were no, all these different no, brand names. Yeah, they weren't. So it was it was about 1993. Uh, after doing the MBA, I decided uh, we should form our own group. So we went to the advertising agency, and they came up with an idea: my chemist. And my chemist saves you money. Now that's true. My chemist will save you money if you buy the specials. So you know we were, you know, everything was full recommended retail price as as our oil of the pharmacy. But we had about two hundred specials, and they were really good specials, and they would rotate. And we focused on the front of shop business to grow the front of shop business because. Um, you can control that. You, you, the, the people coming with prescriptions um, is so out of your control, but you can control the front of shop business. Mm. So we um, we um, continued to grow the, the the ranging in the front of shop, and we started to um, experiment with with promotional activity. Um, and in two thousand, we had fifty stores. Mm. It was then that I. Looked at the market. I've been looking at the US market for some time, and, and and the big box pharmacies over there, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, there were huge stores with you know two thousand square meters, um, ten million dollar turnover stores. 
I looked at those and I thought, what would happen if we tried to emulate the same sort of thing in Australia where we um, have a big box store and Bunnings was opening, Bunnings was mm-hmm. opening stores everywhere. And um, I said, let, let, let's see if we can give people, you know, 25% discount on recommended retail price on everything. Meaning every on everything thing. because up, everything, to, up everything. to then you had done it just on the occasional item. On, no, well, like a hundred, two hundred items. Uh, I said, let's discount everything by twenty five percent. Now, to make that work, we had to make sure that a couple of things happened. Yeah. Firstly, yeah. the two biggest costs in pharmacy, in fact, in any retail, are wages and rent. Yeah. Now, you can c- control rent by going to a less rent area, less yeah. expensive yeah. rent yeah. area. And that worked for us because we became a destination store. We, we didn't necessarily have to be in the primary shopping centre. We could be, as long as there was car parking and there was as reasonable customer traffic, we'd attract people. So if if you um, if you spend a hundred thousand dollars a year on on rent and you do a million dollars turnover, that's ten percent. But if you do the pay the same rent and you have ten million dollars turnover, you're paying one percent. Mm. So the average pharmacy pays about thirteen percent rent. We're averaging about two and a half percent because one, we're in lower uh, rent areas, and two, we have a much higher average turnover. Where average turnover is around twelve million dollars. So but that was a punt. A punt you took long ago then to think. Well, what happens if we do make these stores in Australia much bigger, which Australian consumers work. weren't used to? We were used to going into the chemist shop down on the corner that had maybe a, a the pharmacist and one other helper. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, like every entrepreneur, you need to have a fallback position. So the fallback position was well, first of all. The, the first store that we opened was uh, owned by a friends of ours. Spotlight had moved their location and they, they had a store that was, that was vacant. It was about a thousand square meters of a huge store and it wow. was, and it was a level above. And basically we were friendly with, uh, with Ruben and he said, well, if it doesn't work, I'll take it back. Don't worry about it. You know, see here you go. So we had to fall oh, back. Great. And, and, yeah. And, and anyway. To tell you the truth, I mean, it didn't work immediately. I mean, it took a lot of yeah. tweak, a lot of hard work. But ultimately, we were able to make it work. And, and wages are less because we um, have specialised people, someone at the checkout all the time. There's people that – there's store people that do this, you know, that, that place the orders and manage the stock the and inventory. So if you, if you specialise and you don't do everything, you, you're more efficient. And so our wage costs are lower as a percentage, but we really? still have a high, still have a lot of staff and our wages and our rent was low. The average pharmacy does about 40% gross margin and we had to work on about 20% gross margin. So we had to reduce our expenses by about 20%, which mm. was, uh, which was pretty hard and get rebates and advertising funds from the suppliers. Yeah. So, and, and today, I mean, today it's working. I mean, today, you know, whereas we, we have about the same bottom line percentage profit as the average pharmacy on a much higher turnover. That's amazing. Jack, just when did you decide to become chemist warehouse and use this warehouse, this particular word, which obviously conjures up uh, a different image in the consumer's mind and then bring all those brands of chemists under this one branding name? Well, our first store opened in June 2000. That was our first store. The first chemist warehouse. First Chemist Warehouse yeah. was in 2000. Soon after we opened our first one, without it being totally successful, 
we had that opportunity. We had our first store in in Reservoir, sorry, in, in in Footscray. We had an opportunity to open a store in Dandong. It was an old coal store that you know, Coles Variety Store. Yep. So we we opened up there. So we had the two stores, um, and they were in two different socioeconomic areas, Dandong and Footscray. Um. Yeah, after um, after about a year, you could tell it was going to work. I mean, was yeah, when the people came in and they were just gobsmacked by the volume of product and the pricing, and uh, you know, the average basket size is much greater than than um, than any other pharmacy. Yeah, and and word of mouth and the advertising uh, all all worked, and we gradually, gradually, you know, you know, grew the business. And then I think the third store was in Shepparton, which is a country area, and we had a we found a very large site there, and and Shepparton was actually more successful and uh, more successful quicker yeah. than the other two because you know here we were giving much better discounts in a country area where traditionally the prices are much higher. Yeah, they would have been gouged, no doubt. But yes. but nonetheless, do you, do you remember? You said it wasn't easy at the beginning. Do you remember that there was um, a little bit of you know uncertainty in consumers' minds? Oh, what's this? You know, cut price uh, drugs and prescriptions, and oh, do I trust that? You know, this is all before we knew about generic um, uh, pharmaceuticals and all that sort of thing. That that concerned us, but but no. Generally, the people um, that came into the store, you know, uh, embraced the, the concept, and uh, we, you know, we're delighted with it. I mean, we opened up stores in in Ireland, and people we opened up in Ireland um, about two years ago, uh, middle of the pandemic, and people would come in, look around, take out their cameras, and 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 do you know um, social media. You can't believe this store. Look at really. What I mean, like, you know, it was a positive thing. I mean, people didn't have a negative connotation that it was too cheap or that it was no. too, you know, but it was all positive. Yeah. I mean, and how are the ones in Ireland going? Great. Our, 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 best, our best per capita market is New Zealand because the market there is much more competitive. In right. Australia, we have, we're constrained by the uh, regulations in relation to where we can locate and ownership laws. Right. So if I wanted to open a pharmacy in a particular area, I've got to buy a pharmacy within one kilometre of that site because I can only move it one kilometre. This is the Guild, you know, uh, anti-competitive situation that the Guild have uh, introduced and are pushing. Um, And so we were constrained in the size of the stores and, you know, everything had to be, you know, like it was a three-dimensional jigsaw. We had to find a site Move it less than one kilometre, you know. Uh, set it up. Um, Sorry, less than one kilometre from where? From where we bought the we bought the business. You can only move a pharmacy one kilometre. Right. And even today, it's the same thing today. Oh, okay. Uh, so we're not, you know, we're in we're not in some in some areas because we can't buy a pharmacy uh, in that area because pharmacists believe that we're um, going to kill the business for their – I mean, if you're a pharmacist and want to retire, you're very friendly with all your colleagues around you, mm. uh, and you and, and you probably don't want to sell your pharmacy to a chemist warehouse because you, you're afraid how it's going to affect your colleagues around you. So yeah. 
we have difficulty, you know, being able to buy pharmacies. But in New Zealand, we can open up anywhere we want and uh, in any any store we want. So in New Zealand, our average turnover is over twenty million dollars. New yeah. Zealand per yeah. store, and um, we're close to one billion dollars in New Zealand alone. Um, after about uh, four years. That's amazing. I mean, you've disrupted the whole pharmacy sector by this whole strategy that you've done. Was cutting prices the main way that you differentiated your product? Pricing and range um, and variety and uh, choice. Yeah. I mean, we, um, we, we, we won't do an Aldi where we have, you know, private label pro- predominantly. We have some private label products, but we support the multinationals and we grow the market. To give you an example of an idea of how we grow the market, sungla- sorry, um, vitamins uh, in Australia, we sell, we, Chemist Warehouse and the group, sell $1 billion worth a year, $1 billion. Wow. The total market's worth $1.6 billion. Oh, God. And if you look at the U.S. market, the U.S. market's only $9 billion. So pro rata, we're about two and a half times the volume per capita in Australia than they are in, in, in America. That's extraordinary. But, Jack, did rate- you do that by squashing other people who sold vitamins or are you saying you actually expanded that market? We expanded the market yeah. I mean, and the the reason why we why is because we have the best range, the best pricing, the best education. I mean, we have lots of promotional activity, the best education, the best you know, the best variety. Yeah. I mean, you go into our store, and you know, the biggest the biggest uh, complaint I get from my friends say to me, Jack, I went to your pharmacy last week, and you're a bastard. I spent a hundred dollars. <laughs> And I said, I said, I only wanted to buy a packet of aspirin. I spent $100. And I said, yeah, you probably saved yourself $50 in doing that. Yeah, but they got lots of vitamin C and vitamin B and all this other stuff that maybe they didn't intend to buy. But But, but it's good for them. Yeah. Jack, um, I mean, I imagine and I understand there is some animosity towards Chemist Warehouse amongst pharmacists, not just the Guild, but the local pharmacy, you know, does not like to see people going into Chemist Warehouse to buy their Panadol or their Savlon cream. That's true. Um, but the reality of it is that we haven't cannibalised. I mean, if, if we open a pharmacy, we'll be doing $8 million within the first six months. That doesn't mean that our competitors lose $8 million. We grow the market. No. In New Zealand, um, the bank that we d- deal with, Bank of New Zealand, um, d- did this exercise where they looked at the market share that, we, that Chemist Warehouse had before and after, before and after they entered a market. So if they looked at an area, say, six-kilometre radius, there might have been six pharmacies in that area, and we entered the middle of that area. Um, we we would open with about $8 million turnover, and they would be doing about $1 million turnover. So we would have more than 50% market share of that area, but they wouldn't lose that Eight million dollars. They would go from say one million dollars to nine hundred thousand. Yeah. But then they would, they would. They would. But then, so the growth, our volume isn't at the expense of, of pharmacy generally. Yeah. It's at the expense of supermarkets. At the expense of of um, specialty stores. But more importantly, it's growth market. 
we grow the market and as a result of our entry into the market, the market's bigger. Yeah. If, you speak to, if you speak to Johnson & Johnson, Record Bank Keys, uh, Colgate, Palmolive, any of those companies, they will tell you that the sales in Australia of the products that we sell in our stores pro rata is greater than anywhere in the world. Wow. Because we make things so much more affordable. Yeah so much more available to consumers. We give the consumers what they want and so they buy more. Yeah. Jack, is there a secret sauce? Uh, they talk about this in, you know, um, management books, a secret sauce for Chemist Warehouse. What is it? Is it the the tons of stock? Is it the low pricing? Is it the warehousey feel to it that, oh, I'm going to get a good deal if I go and buy at Chemist Warehouse? It's all of that. It's all of that. I mean, but the thing is, it's not – what we do is pretty simple. I mean, we provide consumer with a lot of product, a lot of choice, a lot of variety at very low prices um, with a lot of signage. It's all very simple, but the, what's what's important is execution because we – make a lot of money from advertising for the multinationals. I mean, multinationals pay us money to advertise. It's a win-win ah. because they pay us for advertising. The thing is that if we want to continue to support or, or get the support of the multinationals, we've got to be able to deliver. And it's all in the delivery. It's all in the execution where the product's out there and the pricing's right and the display's right. If we promise they'll have a gondola end, in every store, they have to have a gondola in yeah. every store. Otherwise, otherwise, we won't get the support from the multinationals. It's just extraordinary what Chemist Warehouse has or how it's really impacted both the retailing and the whole kind of pharmaceuticals market in Australia. Would you say you always had big, even global goals for Chemist Warehouse in 2000? When we started the first store in 2000, we were just happy to, to have it succeed. I mean, you know, and then when we opened the second store, we were glad that that was, uh, you know, helping. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, few yeah. that yeah, worked. As I, as I said in the last episode, um, I really haven't um, – uh, I'm not really a person that sort of sits back and uh, and and takes in what the success and plans the next one. We just I'm always pushing for you know to for more 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 you know to 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 you know grow and grow. Was there one crucial step that really catapulted Chemist Warehouse into strong growth and sustainability? Chemist Warehouse was what was what what was this the step that this that led to success we had um open pharmacies in uh, new south wales and in other states and they're very hard to manage because uh with difficulty managing if you've got a pharmacy doing two million dollars or you've got one doing eight million dollars nine ten twelve million dollars which is what average is at the moment it's much the same amount of work and management but you get three times the bang for your buck when you've got a larger store. So the very fact that they were turning over large volumes of stock and uh, the sales volume was growing, we were getting good advertising, was what made the whole thing. That was really the pivotal point, I think. Yeah, right. And did you go the um, franchise route or do you own all of them? 
all the pharmacies are owned by partners um, that are partners and they're also franchisees. So we have a partnership arrangement because of the pharmacy laws in Australia, you're only allowed to own maximum of uh, five pharmacies in any state. So Oh, really? What, yeah, one person's only allowed to own five pharmacies? In any one state. That seems pretty anti-competitive. It is. The whole industry is very anti-competitive. The Guild is extremely anti-competitive, but but we still manage um, because so of what, that. So what, they come in as, as manager, owner, as partners, right, but they're, they're franchised? Then what we decided to do was to um, franchise the business so that um, – so that there could be a succession planning because only pharmacists right. come in. So, yeah. So, and, and, and the partners have equity in the franchise or as well. So it's a, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a situation where there's a win-win for both of them. They win in the store and they win on the franchise. All right. And, and sorry, just, uh, it's probably too detailed, but is the partner generally a pharmacist or no, could they just and, be a business manager or? Uh, all our partners have to be pharmacists. We oh, only right. Have pharmacists, partners. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever had to go to the market to raise capital? Never. So you haven't been in debt since when? Since we sold Australia. So wow. Been in debt. And you've never had to go to market to raise any money to fund any of these new stores? No. But your partners, they obviously have to put money in. They put money in. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think it's very important that they have skin in the game. Yeah. Um, there's a big difference between someone that's uh, an employee and then someone that's a, that's actually got skin in the game and actually got his money on the line and he's probably got his parents' guarantee supporting the money that he put into the business. Um, and it works really well because, you know, the motivation with someone that's got skin in the game is so much higher than 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 anyone someone that doesn't. Yeah, that's extraordinary. But how did you manage that scale up, that very dramatic growth at Chemist Warehouse? You still had to grow your teams, find partners, you know, do all that, do the stock, um, the contracts with the multinational companies, all that sort of thing. Well, we've got a we've got a big head off of staff. But just to explain how a partner becomes a partner. Um, we do, we have about 500 trainees every year. Uh, when you do pharmacy, it's a four-year course, a one-year traineeship. Ah, apprenticeship. okay. So we generally have the have them as as students uh, when they start pharmacy first and second year working in the store, and then they do their traineeship. After their traineeship and they become qualified. Um, about half of them will go and work in hospitals or or uh, in or industry. Yeah, half of who are left will probably go back to Malaysia or China or Hong Kong, uh, and they become king of the castle there because they were tra- Australian trained pharmacists. So about a quarter of the people that we train, that's all, uh, will end up being pharmacists going through the system. And the better ones, the ones that um, have been with us, the ones that are successful in the stores and become area managers, they'll be offered a partnership when we open a new store. And so they've been with us about 10 years. So wow. the culture yeah. the culture is there. And so they bring the culture to that store and all the people that they train uh, have bought, been through the same culture 
Um, and that's and essentially your culture that you've trained them. I mean, they've been university trained, but then you've trained them in the retail space. When they come out of university, they they wouldn't they wouldn't know uh, <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, with, with, with it, you know, how to order, how to use a register. They've got no idea on how to handle money. They've got no idea on any business aspects. All they know is they know that the pharmaceutical pharmacology, they know all of that, which is terrific and we have very qualified and very good pharmacists, but they also need to understand retail because ultimately it's a retail business. Mm. Just That's extraordinary. So do you have relationships with the universities? We do. We help them with. Uh, we probably we are probably the the best uh, retail training in the last year, because they've done all the in their final year. Yeah, in their, in their final year, we we have relationships with them. We go on we go on campus and we and we uh, actively uh, encourage students to join us. Jack, you've just launched another whole new operation, Optometrist Warehouse. Have I got that right? And how did yeah, that come yeah. about and why are you doing that? Well, that's an interesting story. I've had a lot of experience in, in optics um, from the days of the specs um, and sunglasses. In fact, we had a distributor in New Zealand called Optical Holdings uh, who distributed the specs and Latan. Uh, they, were our, they were our distributors there. And they had a company called Optical Holdings in Australia that distributed optical products to optometrists. And we said to them, look, you know, if you're going to operate in New Zealand and we don't want you to operate in Australia, we'll take over your optometrist optical distribution business in Australia, mutually agreed upon that. And so we actually had um, products that we distributed to optometrists. Um, we, we were the agents for, for Topcon uh, equipment. So we've yeah we've had a lot of experience in the optical industry. About two years ago, uh, we found someone was um, had knocked off our trademark and had um, Spectacles Warehouse, uh, which was in a house form like the chemist warehouse form. And we said you can't do that. He said okay, I won't do it. But he said why don't we why don't we go in and do business together and have Optometrist Warehouse. And I said, what a good idea. It didn't quite work out with him, but we ended up with a couple of partners who are running it. And uh, we, we see this as being a good extension of what we do because it's in the health area. So I don't know, I don't know if you know, but um, people with diabetes have deteriorating eyesight. Mm. And if, we, if you do an eye test with the with the equipment that we have, which is you know, very sophisticated equipment, we can actually tell if you're diabetic. We can tell if you've got high blood pressure. So if you come into an optometrist warehouse for an eye test, we can probably send you to the doctor to, to be treated for diabetes because we'll be able to pick up diabetes in doing that. Well, and now, wouldn't any other optometrist be able to do that if they have good equipment? Could. They could, but because we're related to Chemist Warehouse, we've got a Chemist Warehouse next door, and because we specifically look for it, and because we've got the latest of the uh, of the equipment, and most optometrists don't have right. the sophisticated cameras and equipment and, and technology that we have, they're not able to do that. And the other thing is, is that where someone has a prescription for uh, a, for a diabetic product, we can 
talk to them and say to them, you realize that your eyesight can deteriorate quickly and you should have it checked every 12 mm. months. Why don't mm. you go next door? Mm. They both bill an eye test and uh, you, you can look after your health. Right. So how so are you going to make money if you bulk bill? Just accept the bulk billing income? The bulk billing's fine, uh, covers the costs, and then we make the money on the selling of the, of the frames. Right, yeah. And all the, uh, all the, all the other things. Yeah. It, it, it's a good model. It works well. And So uh, are you trialling it, piloting it, or are you just going to roll it all out? We, we piloted it in, in – um, in Malvern, Glenferrad Malvern, next door to our own, next door to our Chemist Warehouse store. It's got to be related to Chemist Warehouse because yeah. we've, we've got to get the um, the referrals. That that gave us enough um, uh, signals that it was going to be successful. It 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 it, um, it needs a fair bit of tweaking, but we we see this as being being a very very a successful, potentially successful business. We should have about two to 300 stores within about uh, three years throughout Australia. That's just extraordinary. But, I mean, yeah. let me play devil's advocate. Why would consumers come to you when, say, you know, Specsavers already has a pretty good hold, it would seem, on the market? Specsavers has got a great hold and they've got a good market share. The reason is because we are more health-related than Specsavers, and we can do uh, the, the relationship between the between the pharmacy, the medical profession, mm-hmm, and, right. and, and, and optometry. Um, and besides, we're we're giving Specsavers a run for their money on pricing uh, because we always believe you've got to delight your customers, and uh, we've put together an extremely good range uh, of products at very good pricing. And uh, all the testing is bulk billed, so there's no out-of-pocket expenses. And in most cases, people have um, they have their health insurance, private health insurance. They have two to three hundred dollars a year that they can uh, claim. Uh, and so, in most cases, in most cases, the uh, the frames and the testing everything are free. Yeah. So, will you again go with properly trained optometrists uh, oh, no, uh, as your partners, or yes? Well. I'm not sure about the partnership. Right. Uh, we've got partners that, and, and, and interesting, interestingly, the, the two partners we have were associated with the beginning of Specsavers. Oh, so really? That, These are properly trained people? Yes, properly trained optometrists who are very commercial. And uh, the interesting thing is that it's really hard to get optometrists because there's a real shortage of optometrists. Uh, the universities don't put out enough. But when we opened and we had the model where we were doing it really for the health of the of the consumer, the health of the patient, optometrists flocked from everywhere saying, we want to sign up, we want to work with you because we want to be able to provide the healthy solution to the consumer. Amazing. Jack, there has been strong talk of an IPO uh, coming this year. Now, has that been put on the back burner? We are looking at all options, and IPO is one of the options. What we really want to do is to be able to have liquidity for the partners. Uh, we don't really want to take money off the table because, you know, we're cash flow positive. But we want to be able to have succession planning so that my children, my grandchildren uh, can look back and say, my grandfather started this business, you know, 50 years ago, and we own equity in the company. Um th- Public market um, gives access to um, opportunities. If we want to go to America, for example, and we want to say take over 
Rite Aid, mm. something I've been looking at. Um, in a public market, you can raise the money very quickly yeah. and you can bring in equity from outside. So we're in a position where we really need to um, run like a public listed company and take advantage of all of the things that a public listed company can add value with. Yeah, but I guess the IPO market at the moment, given the economic circumstances, interest rates, um, not free money anymore, you know, it's much tighter. So would that cause you to perhaps put it on hold for a while? It's on hold because we're really not not ready. We're still getting our uh, our structure right. And we're not really uh, anxious to take money off the table. In fact, we don't want to take any money off the table. So what if you IPO, you won't become even richer? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you will. <sighs> okay, I never think about that. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed by all those, pub- all the publicity. Um, oh, I know. It's, by, it's the way, a- by the way, by the way, I'm going to sue those papers because I'm going to sue them for flattery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've probably given you enough flattery today. So uh, it is interesting. I mean, you know, if you go public, you, you will have to sell some of your shareholding um, and that's what will make you – even more money than you already have. I don't understand, well, I do understand it's such an Australian way not to want to talk about money or how much personal wealth or what it does to you. But now that we're on the subject, how do you view the the idea that your parents came here and kind of had nothing and you've made such a fortune I'm not, sure, I'm not sure such a fortune. Well, yeah, I mean, the answer is, I, like I said, with uh, any goals that we have, I've, I've never looked back and sort of said, here's where I am and I'm really, you know, um, celebrating it, you know. Mm. Uh, you just keep moving forward. Yeah. Do you buy expensive boats and no, none spend of that. $50 million I mean, I on said, yachts? And- I, said, I, said, I said, if I buy a private jet, then you better get me certified. <laughs> I, I still, I still find it, I still find it difficult to travel business class. Oh, also. are you serious? Yeah, because you know, I think about it. It's tw- I went to America for a uh, for for a conference, and it was twenty thousand mm. dollars on bonus in business class. Yeah, well, that yeah. is ridiculous. But you know, it is ridiculous, and I thought you deserve it. Well, yeah, but you know, I still find it hard to justify. Yeah. Anyway. Jack, what are your markers of success with Chemist Warehouse? I mean, you started with really two employees, you founders, and you've ended up with numerous employees operating in several countries, 560 stores, you know, 8 billion in turnover a year. What are your markers of success for the business? Um, I really don't have, I mean, like it all goes back to what you said, you know, do what, do I sit and celebrate, you know, achievements? I don't really, because, um, I don't really have a business plan, uh, other than saying in my mind, I want to go to, uh, at the moment, at the moment I'm negotiating with Israel. Um, the Israeli government approached, approached me and approached us and said, please, can you come to Israel? because we're being uh, gouged by the incumbent there. So I went over there and I looked at the market. And true, as they said, the prices over there were two to three times the prices as in Australia. But the problem is that the importers have a monopoly and they have 
very high prices to the retailer. So I said to the Israeli government, the only way you're actually going to be able to make this work, and we'd love to come there, is you've got to allow us to bring parallel imports. We've got to be able to import our own products without any restrictions. Mm. And they said, we'll do that. And so we're working with, I actually spoke to Knesset. I had a meeting with them. Uh, with the government, mm-hmm. and we, we, we are, we're looking at opening uh, stores in Israel. Uh, I've got a partner. We've, we've formed a partnership with um, with a couple of Israeli uh, pharmacists, and uh, we look like we're opening there within the next 12 months. As soon as the Israeli government changes the legislation and allows parallel importing. Mm. The thing is that Israel has such r- restrictions on importing, they have – uh, they have a, a regulation on everything. And if you don't comply to the Israeli regulations, you can't bring it in. Yeah. For example, there's, there's there's a standard on backpacks, you know, like rucksacks. Is yeah. a standard. Nowhere in the world, anywhere in the world, is there a standard on, on, on backpacks. So would you believe that the two people on the standards committee of the backpacks are the two importers of backpacks in Israel? Oh, gosh. That's not a conflict of interest or anything, is it? Not at all. Oh, and that's what happens everywhere. You know, the prices there are just, you know, are just outrageous. And yeah. we want to we help the consumer. I mean, in Australia, I, I, I would say we probably save the Australian consumer a billion dollars a year. If you work out our discount that we offer on retail, but, but and and sorry, Jack. Just on that, are you still saying publicly that you take offer twenty five percent discount on every single product in your stores? On average, yeah, twenty five percent. What does on average mean? Well, because some things we can't because because it, if we'd sold at twenty five percent below cost, we would we would be low cost, and some things we can give big discounts. So okay. across the board, it's about twenty five percent. Um, I mean, we also have a lot of promotions. I mean, we have half-priced vitamins yeah. a lot of the time, and a lot of consumers buy their vitamins when it's half-price. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our competitors buy vitamins from us when it's half-price and sell it at full price. Jack, where do you think this entrepreneurial streak came from? We talked briefly earlier about your your folks having come from Russia, even though they were Polish Jews after World War II. Were they business people before the war? Not where really. Did, no, where did your streak come from? I don't know, not really. I mean, my parents, my father was a farrier, made fur coats. My mother was a dressmaker, and and um, when they came to Australia, um, my father got a job uh, at, a, at making fur coats. Yeah, my mother um, was was working uh, machining, and at night time, uh, back in those days, manufacturing in Australia was that was the thing. Yeah, what would happen would be there'd be outworkers where the factory would cut the fabric. And they would take three or four pieces to a, to, you know, to someone's house. Yeah. And they would sew those three or four pieces together, and then they would take those three or four pieces to the next house where they would sew two lots of, you know, oh, and they would make piece it that workers, way. yeah, piece workers, yeah, exactly right. And you get paid like ten cents a piece that you, yeah, you know, every every piece that you did was ten cents a piece, and that and they were twenty four seven. And then my father bought a, a milk bar. And, uh, you know, and he would open five o'clock in the morning and would work until midnight. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't sleep. I guess he never slept. And I, I guess I must be, I don't know whether it's from that or, but, you Cut know, from I, the same I, cloth. If I had four hours sleep, I'd be lucky. 
Oh, really? Yeah. You know they do say if you don't get your sleep, it does shorten your life. I hate I to tell you. That. Well, I understand <laughs> that. Well, you know, I try um, to sleep. Uh, Jack, um, so would you say, uh, I don't want to dwell on it too long, but would you say you had a, a tough childhood growing up then? Were you handed everything on a platter? I am yeah. guessing not. Very tough. Um, I went to South Brunswick State School, which was a redneck sort of area back then, and uh, um, it was pretty tough. I mean, like, you know, Italians and Jews, were, you know, like it was, you know, a lot mm. of racial prejudice there. Um, I went to Princess Hill Central School uh, and then University High, which was a um, an elite school that you had to, you had to have a certain um, academic level to be able to go to. And then... I actually got into medicine, you know, all my life I wanted to be a doctor. And it was because my parents never gave me anything that I decided I didn't want to do another seven years of study. And I decided, well, I'm not going to do medicine. I actually got into medicine. And a lot of people that I went to uni high with um, ended up with, as you know, eminent doctors, uh, professors. Um, I decided the last minute, even though I got into medicine, I wanted to, I ended up doing pharmacy. So I had an epitome and I decided to do pharmacy. Yeah. In order to earn money um, quicker in your life. Because I didn't want another seven years yeah. of study where um, I used to work every school holiday um, to support myself. My parents never gave. I bought my, my, I bought my car from the efforts of working every holiday. You know, people would go and have beach holidays. I would uh, I'd be working. Mm. Family's obviously still very important to you. You mentioned yes. your your wife Evelyn, and she's been with you in this journey. Yeah, uh, yes, plus yes. your brother. And uh, why yes. is family so important? I mean, I know that's an obvious <laughs> question, but why why is it to you? I think well, you know, it's a European thing. I think um, uh, it's just you know, inbred in into. I don't know. It just comes with the genes. I think I don't know, but uh, you know, we have Shabbat dinners. Where we have the family, um, which what every show. Friday night, most Friday nights. Wow, yes. okay. And now we do it at my daughter's place, um, and so uh, it'll, she'll have uh, great there, or we'll have. But yeah, most Friday nights we have a Shabbat dinner. We we don't have it as a as a religious you know, thing, but we do it as a traditional thing, and we still yeah. say the prayers and and light the candles and have the challah. Um, yeah, it's it's important. Jack, a few very quick questions to finish on. I'm asking all my guests this. What are you obsessed about at the moment? Obsessed about? Mm, be it a cause, um, a dish, a book, if you ever get to read one, a product, um, a grandchild? Well, with my family, yeah. I mean, I've got uh, four grandkids. We just came back from from a holiday in Morocco uh, where we took all the whole family. There was nine of us. We travelled oh. around in a bus. Um, and, Fabulous. Uh, fantastic. So, you know, we was a bit trying. We've got three high-testosterone kids, six, 15, 16, 17. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so it was a bit trying. <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, it was great. I mean, that's what life's all about. You know, it's about the next generation and the generation after that. Jack, what's the toughest thing you think you've faced in your entrepreneurial, your business journey? 
you know, I've asked, I've been asked that a lot, a lot of times, and people said to me, you know, have you, have you ever had failures? Sure, I've had failures, but you know, I, I don't really remember them. I sort of tend to, um, you know, forget about them because I don't move on. I mean, in sales, the most difficult thing for a salesman is to not take no as a failure because no isn't a failure. No means that you haven't really explained it to the customer what the customer wants or you haven't listened to what they – you haven't overcome the objection. And if they say no, find out why they said no because that's the objection and then overcome the objection. If you can't overcome the objection, you're not going to be able to sell. If you don't know what the objection is, you can't sell. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on this business journey? The biggest lesson I've learned is that you don't want to get into a fair fight. You want to have a strategic advantage. And people said to me, oh, that's crap. What the strategic advantage did you have a pharmacist, you know, starting off in business? Well, I had a strategic advantage because if you remember, I was selling sunglasses to fellow pharmacists. That was my strategic advantage because there was 100 people trying to sell sunglasses to each of the, every pharmacy, but they listened to me because I was a fellow pharmacist. Mm. And then and then the strategic advantage that, that, that we had um, with when we started Chemist Warehouse was that we had – we had 50 stores that gave us the basis of the support of the manufacturers and enabled us to be able to you know, leverage that into the, uh, into, into the Chemist Warehouse brand. So, you know, people say to me, I've got this great business idea. And I say, okay, put the business idea aside. The person over there has got exactly the same business idea as you have, exactly the same business idea. What advantage do you have? What are you going to, how, how are you going to make it successful? And if you tell me that you got more money, forget about it. Money's not important in, in business. You, you know, you can borrow money, you can get money. Um, don't tell me you're going to work hard because everyone's going to work hard. Now, if you've got an idea, say you've got an automatic poo picker upper for dogs. Okay. And you reckon that it's the best thing you've ever seen. It's going to be fantastic. Revolutionize the industry. What advantage do you have if your father uh, is um, the president of the uh, Veterinary Association and they've got 2,000 stores? You've got an advantage. Mm. If you can't tell me an advantage, then go for something that gives you an advantage. There's, advantages there. There's advantages there everywhere. you just got to see, find the advantage and, and use it. Yeah. Jack Gantz, it's been a great pleasure to speak to you and interview you and thank you so much for your insights and for joining us on Build It Thou Come. Helen, thank you. I hope you enjoyed Build It Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.